my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me on this fifth and final episode of our exploration of the book of Hebrews. Now, on the very first episode of our Hebrews examination, we said that the whole theme, the whole point of Hebrews is to lift up and extol the fact that Christ is better. Jesus is greater. Now, in one sense, we don't need a reason to talk about that. It's true. And so Jesus is who we love. Jesus is our Savior, our King, our Lord. And so we, and I I say this with great regret because it's not always true of me, we should just love to talk about Jesus. And that's true. But the author of Hebrews is pointing out how much better Jesus is for a very specific purpose. Remember that the original readers of the, the book of Hebrews were likely Jewish people who had left Judaism to join the Jesus movement and were facing persecution and opposition and were considering going back to Judaism. And the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is better for the purpose of encouraging them to stand with Jesus and the church. That's our fifth theme, strong encouragement for standing faithfully with Jesus and the church. And my friends, we may not be being dragged off to be thrown to the lions here in America or wherever it is that you're listening. But we also need encouragement to stand faithfully with Jesus and the church. And so the author of Hebrews, as you read through this book, has two main tactics that he uses to encourage us to stand faithfully with the Jesus who is better. The first of those tactics is by using negative and positive examples. So sometimes the author will hold up a negative example from the Old Testament particularly and say, this is what we should not do. One example of that is when the author of Hebrews talks about the wilderness wanderings. So we're speaking here of the Exodus generation, that generation of Israelites who left Egypt under the leadership of Moses in the Exodus event. And then because of their lack of faith, their hardness of heart, their unbelief, They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and never made it to the promised land. So here's what the author of Hebrews says by holding that story up as a negative example. He says in Hebrews 3, 7 through 19, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So the author of Hebrews here is quoting from a psalm, a psalm that was written hundreds of years after the wilderness generation died. And the original psalm was saying to that particular generation of Israelites, If you hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you today, don't be like your forefathers in the wilderness. They saw the goodness of the Lord. They experienced his power, his grace, his love, and they hardened their hearts and said, no, we want to do things our own way. And therefore, they did not enter the rest that God wanted for them. And so the author of Hebrews is saying to us in the same way, if you hear God speaking to you, which we do every day when we read the Bible, then don't harden your hearts lest you too fail to enter the promised land due to unbelief. In verse 12, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 
But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And friends, can I just take a quick time out? Uh, This is why we need the local church. Not the local church that we watch on our computer screen, but the local church that we go and spend time with on Sundays or Saturdays or whatever it is that you worship, the local church that we're doing life with together. Because friends, on our own, we are all prone to an evil, unbelieving heart that's leading us away from the living God. And that's why verse 13 says, exhort one another every day so that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, for we, the new covenant community, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Remember, friends, you can't lose your salvation. But one of the signs, one of the evidences of a genuine salvation is those who have been genuinely saved by Jesus make it to that rest, make it to that promised land. And so we must hold firm our original confidence, and we need one another to hold firm our original confidence. Verse 15, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? So the author of Hebrews is asking you. He's giving you an Old Testament trivia test. Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Here's your answer. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So don't be like them. Don't be like them. We too can have hard hearts, despite all we've experienced and all that we've seen, we can have hard hearts and miss out on God's blessing. Now that's how we use a negative example. By contrast, the author holds up Abraham and even the readers themselves as positive examples of trusting God. Hebrews 6, 13 through 15. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, God swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, and why would he be willing to wait patiently? Because he trusted God. He obtained the promise. The author of Hebrews points to the readers and says, Guys, you've done this before. God can empower you to do it again. Hebrews 10, 32-34, But recall the former days, after you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with suffering. So friends, you've been through this before. You, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it again. Sometimes you are publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So sometimes you yourself were suffering persecution or oppression, and sometimes it was those that you loved suffering. You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Now, when we think about the book of Hebrews and positive examples, probably what a lot of you are thinking about is Hebrews 11, the so-called Hall of Faith, where the author of Hebrews lists story after story and names character after character from the Old Testament, and he commends them for their faith. But the author of Hebrews is not just showing off his knowledge of the Old Testament. He's making a point. The message of Hebrews 11 is this. The way of faith is the only way to live. All the people that he names are sinners. They mess up, some of them a couple of times, some of them massively. Some of them, it's shocking that they're even listed. But they trusted God. There's a million ways to do wrong by God. There's only one way to do right by God. Trust him. Trust him. 
So the author of Hebrews, we said, is using the fact that Jesus is better to motivate faithfulness. And he does this by showing negative and positive examples. His second tactic is warnings and promises. And there are many what we call warning passages in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read one to you in just a moment, but they all have the same basic basic message. Don't fall away from Jesus. Don't drift from Jesus. Hebrews 6, 4 through 8. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So imagine that you're a farmer with two fields, and both fields receive the same attention, right? They both receive the seed. They both get sun. They both get rain. You pull the weeds. You take care. But come harvest time, one bears a crop that's profitable and good, and the other just bears thorns and thistles. You're going to cast away that field. It's worthless. It's no good. And so the author of Hebrews is warning us, don't be like that second field. You've received the seed. You've received the sun, the rain, the the nurturing attention of God. Don't fall away. Don't bear thorns and thistles. Now, friends, we can read passages like this and we can think, ooh, can I lose my salvation? But here's a handy principle for you, not just for Hebrews, but for all books of the Bible. Measure or compare what is confusing against what is clear in the knowledge and confidence that the Bible never contradicts itself. And we have passage after passage in the Bible that tells us that we cannot lose our salvation. One of the best examples that I can point you to is John chapter 10, when Jesus talks about his sheep, his people. He says, I give them my sheep eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. I think when it says no one, friends, that includes me and you. The devil can't snatch us away from Jesus, but I can't snatch me away from Jesus. I think the reason for these warnings, and we should take them seriously, is so that we, by means of the warnings, will hold firm to Jesus. Those who read these warning passages and say, eh, I don't think, I mean, I'm a good person. I've, I got baptized. You know, I go to church. I give. Like, I'm a nice guy. Like, I think I'm fine. And they brush these warnings off. It's evidence that they've never known Jesus in the first place. But those who read passages like this and think, oh, Lord, please don't let that be me. This is evidence that God has done a work in our heart. And we will cling to Jesus because we don't want to lose him. He is everything. He's perfect We don't want to lose him. This is how the author of Hebrews uses warnings. And the warning is serious because those who reject God's grace offered to us via the blood of Christ have only judgment waiting for them. Hebrews 10, 26 through 31 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy 
on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And friends, hear this warning. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, those warnings are terrifying, and we are meant to take them seriously. But the author of Hebrews does not only use scare tactics, because the author of Hebrews also wants to motivate us via rewards. He constantly points us back to God's promises for those who persevere. And what has God promised to those who cling to him in faith until the end? Well, first he promises us rest, not you know, sleeping in on a Saturday morning, not retirement where we can just, you know, go play tennis and swim and sail around the world. No, the true rest that our hearts were made to know, and this rest is found only in Jesus. Hebrews 4, 8 through 12. If Joshua had given the people of Israel, had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So remember how I read to you from the book of Psalms and how the author of Psalms was pointing back to the wilderness generation saying, they did not enter my rest. Well, Joshua took the people into the promised land and they enjoyed rest, rest from war. But then 500 years later, God talks to his people and says, don't harden your hearts lest you fail to enter my rest. So the author of Hebrews draws this conclusion. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You can think of it like this. In the garden, rest was total, right? There was no sin, no struggle, no death. Once sin came into the world, when the people of Israel entered into the promised land, they experienced a type of rest, a physical military rest, no more war, but they didn't have spiritual rest. Now for those of us who trust in Christ, we are currently enjoying spiritual rest, the fullness of the peace of God, the fullness of the presence of God. And yet we do not have rest and peace out in the world. This world is at war. But one day when Christ comes back and evil and death and sin and Satan are banished, we will experience the fullness of God's rest. The rest comes through the blood of Christ. We have it now already, but there's more to come. What other promises does the author of Hebrews give us? He promises us a citizenship in heaven. In Hebrews 11, that hall of faith, he says, but as it is, they, these heroes of the faith, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And friends, he's prepared for us a city. For here, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, here on earth, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And no eye has seen and no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Friends, however good you think heaven is going to be, it's better. It's better than you can possibly imagine. One more promise. We have been promised an inheritance as God's children. Hebrews 9.15 Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So what is our inheritance? Do we get like an old grandfather clock or some china that we're never going to use? No, friends, we get the universe. We are co-heirs with Christ. Because I am united by faith with Christ, everything Jesus gets, I get. Hold on to Jesus. 
He is better than anything this world has to offer. He is better than any other religion. And he will see us through to the end. And we can enter into God's rest. We can dwell in an eternal city with him. And we can enjoy our inheritance as God's children for all time. Jesus is better. So friends, the next time we come back together, we'll be examining the book of 2 Timothy. But for now, take up and read, my friends. God bless.